I invite you to take your Bibles now and turn with me to Psalm 101. <clears throat> this will be our meditation for this evening. Psalm of David. Let's read these few verses together. Psalm 101. This is the Word of God. The Psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all evildoers from the city of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Our Father, again, we come to you understanding that this is your word and it is food that you have provided for us, your children. We ask you, O oh Lord, to enable us to digest this food so that it will nourish our souls forever and ever and enable us to live for your glory in Christ Jesus through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to live under the reign of a godly ruler? I have. But John Calvin remarks that it commonly happens that those who are invested with the government of kingdoms and empires are fools and blockheads. Seems like he was perhaps a prophet, doesn't it? We might say the same for the rulers of democracies. But what does a godly ruler look like? How would you recognize him? Well, Psalm 101 provides us with an answer, and the answer is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, you have a godly ruler. He is seated right now upon his throne in the heavenly of heavenlies, directing the course of human affairs, and he is absolute in his holiness and in his righteousness and in his love for his people. And as we look at Psalm 101 briefly tonight, notice that this is the fourth book of the Psalms. We, we generally divide the Psalms into five books. This is the fourth book, chapters 90 to 106. The third book, which is chapter eight, uh, ends with chapter 89, it reflects on the exile. So the people have gone into exile and they're reflecting on, on what has happened to them. This fourth book, what does it do? It is refocusing the people of God on the future, 
Remember, um, just, just a brief note, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Psalms are not in the middle of the Hebrew Scriptures. They come toward the end. They, they are the, the, begin, the first book of the last section. And that whole last section is focusing the people of God on the future. What is coming? And that's the way that the Psalms are structured. Refocusing the people to hope on God's kingship. This is a psalm written by David. Maybe, if you think about it, maybe anticipating his ascent to the throne and and what kind of leader he desired to be, what kind of king he desired to be. But its position in the Psalter points forward to the righteous rule of the Davidic king. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we learn from this psalm is that Christ is the king who honors God in his righteous worship, his righteous conduct, his righteous desire, and his righteous judgment. And notice firstly with me in this psalm that Christ honors God in righteous worship. In verse 1, notice what David wrote, I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord. I will make music. And I want you to consider that Christ first and foremost sings praises to God. His heart delights in Yahweh, His God. This is the incarnate Christ, the God-man. Can you imagine Him with all of the saints gathered in the heavens? And there, our Lord Jesus Christ is leading us in songs of praise, teaching us to sing to God's glory, and He magnifies the attributes of the Lord. Notice what He says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. The covenant love of God, I will sing of that, and I will sing of the justice of God. All of it, all of His attributes are worthy of praise and of singing. I think when I read this of the U.S. Olympians and those moments where perhaps they've meddled and the camera gets in close and they're covering their mouth because they don't quite know the words of the national anthem. And first and foremost, I think I would just encourage you that if Christ is a singer, so should we be. And do you know, if you were to stand in churches across America and lead worship from time to time, you would look out in the, in the congregation and you would see those who are, while we're singing the songs of Zion, those who are just sort of peering off into space, lips tight. How can that be? When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt in the Exodus, what was their first response? but to sing songs of praise to God. And Christians should be a singing people too. Secondly, Christ does not only honor God in His righteous worship. I long for the day, I look forward to the day when Christ is leading us in songs of praise to God. We also see that Christ honors God in His righteous conduct. Verse 2, I will ponder the way that is blameless, oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. Christ is one whose heart is set 
on God's ways. And you notice how this is all structured first. He doesn't begin by saying, I will walk in the ways of righteousness. Look at how he begins. I will do what? Ponder the way uh, that is blameless. I will ponder the way that is blameless. I think too often as we think about how to lead a godly life, we think about what do I need to do tomorrow? I'm going to get up. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to take some groceries to my neighbor. And all of those things are good. But remember that the life of godliness begins by pondering the way that is blameless. Taking the Word in, rolling it over on your tongue. This is how Christ leads in righteousness. He he thinks about it. He sets his mind to it. You think about Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, but he does what? Meditates on the law. He's saying it to himself over. He's rolling it over in his mind. And why is he doing that? So that he's beginning to think like his Lord. He wants God's thoughts to become His thoughts so that His instincts become godly instincts. Therefore, the psalmist says, I will walk with integrity of my own heart. How? Because I've meditated on Your Word. You cannot walk in holiness unless you have first learned to meditate on holiness. He says that He will do this in the midst of His house. In other words, He will set a godly example Especially to us, we think about David in this context. Where did David walk? He walked on the rooftop of the king's house, didn't he? And fell. But here, Christ is our great king, our righteous ruler, is one who walks in the midst of his house in the utmost integrity and blamelessness because his mind and heart are set on God. And so this brings us in To our third point, Christ honors God in righteous desire. As we read in verses 3 through 5, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not Endure. Notice it. He begins, how is he going to walk in integrity? We come back to this. He begins by cultivating a godly heart, godly meditations. And so he didn't, he's not one who practices righteousness externally and then harbors all kinds of wickedness in his heart and mind. But his desires match his actions. He says, notice what he says, I will not look on anything worthless. Now think about that just for a second, if you will. He sets his heart and his will not to look on anything that is worthless. Now normally, in the Scriptures, we find this word worthless is applied not to things, but to people. The Proverbs, for instance, speak of worthless men. Proverbs chapter 6, 12 speaks of worthless men. But the psalmist here, giving us a picture of Christ, says, I will not look on anything that is worthless. What is he saying? He's saying, I don't want my 
focus to be distracted from the righteous standard that I desire to live by. I'm not going to set anything before my eyes that might take my heart away. I know, as it were, if we're speaking humanly, the weakness of my own heart. I know the things that will take my heart away, and I will not even set them before my eyes. We think of Job in this moment, don't we? I've made a covenant with my eyes that I would not look lustfully upon a young woman. Literally, the word worthless is Belial. Belial. And it comprises, according to one commentator, all that is contrary to God and the fundamental regulations concerning social life. All that is contrary to God and the fundamental regulations concerning social life. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, we read, what fellowship have Christ and Belial. Hey, do you see what he's getting here? You think of God, and we read that God, he is so holy that he cannot even look upon sin. You, you know that. He is so holy that he cannot even look upon sin. And here, the godly leader is conducting himself in the same way. I will not set my heart or even my eyes as the window to my heart upon something that might take me away. How often do we compromise in this area? How often? Not so for Christ. He will not even keep unrighteous company. Notice that he says in verse 3, <clears throat> I hate the work of those who fall away, those who, who go into apostasy. I hate their work. <clears throat> this is how he orients his affections. Those who are twisted and perverse of heart, he will not no, he will not endure those who sin in secret. Turn over with me just for a second to Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 10. He says there, do not slander a servant to his master lest he curse you and you be held guilty. This is the kind of secret sin that the psalmist is speaking of. Those who stand in secret corners and whisper about things. Here the psalmist says he will not endure even those. And what we learn is that Christ is one who practices righteousness out of righteous desire. In other words, this is what we mean by the whole man. When we speak of the righteousness of Jesus Christ in his life leading up to the cross, what kind of a man was he? He was one who wouldn't set anything worthless before his eyes. You see, his whole heart and soul and mind from the day that he was born in his growth when he could express his faith as he grew as a young man and then into an adult, his heart and mind and soul were set on God and living righteously unto him. He was totally righteous. And this is what it looks like. Now, for you and me, we can't shut out the world's influence, can we? Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he, he said, I wrote to you before that you should not, that you should not fellowship with adulterers and etc. And he said, I did not mean in the world 
Because if I did, you'd have to go out of the world to live. We would have to have a Christian moon colony in order to separate ourselves entirely from wickedness, wouldn't we? But for you, it is a righteous and a holy thing to develop a sort of internal intolerance. Tolerance today is touted as one of the great values of our society. But it's intolerance that leads us to holiness. And this is the picture of the righteousness of Jesus Christ who set himself entirely on the righteousness of God. Fourthly, we see Christ is one who honors God in righteous worship, righteous conduct, righteous desires, and then lastly, Christ honors God in his righteous judgment. We think about how the psalm began, don't we? I will worship you for your steadfast love and your justice. And he begins then at the last part in verses 6 through 8, teaching us about righteous judgment. He, he shows favor to the, to the righteous. Verse 6, I will look with favor on the faithful in the land that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. Now he won't look upon anything that is vain, notice, but his favor, his gaze falls upon anyone who lives and conducts himself faithfully, who walks with the Lord, who seeks to do what is right. And it is those, he says, who are granted to dwell with him, to live with him. On the other hand, however, he cuts off the unrighteous. Notice in verses 7 through 8. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Those who practice deceit, who speak lies, will be expelled. And we think immediately when you read this, perhaps your, your mind goes to Satan, who is the father of lies, the one who has spoken lies from the very beginning, the one whose children speak Lies, Jesus himself accused the Pharisees of what? That being of their father, the devil. What we notice is that there is no toleration for the unrighteous. There is no toleration for the unrighteous. You notice how the psalm ends there in verse 8. Morning by morning, we think when that verse begins, morning by morning, your mercies are new. And Jesus says, morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land. What does that speak to you of? Morning by morning. When I rise up and I have all the vigor of my strength, that's not in the afternoon after I've given myself to any other labor, but in the very beginning of my day, I will rise up and destroy the wicked from the land. And I will do it morning by morning. In other words, I will make such a complete work of this that there will be none left. This is the perfection of the judgment of Christ. He is the defender of the city of Yahweh. He will strike the earth. We read in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. 
But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Jesus is the righteous defender of God's holy city. And there shall be no wicked that dwell in it. And as we think about that, I think, I think the immediate response is, wow, that, that should cause some trepidation. Because as you think about your own life, you would begin by recognizing that my life is not classified by constant, diligent holiness. Will the sword of Christ come against me when he strikes the earth? Will it be me? Will it be me that he finds out as he goes on his search morning by morning? Think about Ezekiel and the light that he takes. He shines it even in the shadows of the city so that nobody can hide. Nobody can hide. When the morning comes and the the sun is cresting on the city and the light is bright and I can see, there is no one who can hide. And this is going to be the perfection of his judgment. But as we flee to him now, remember, he said what first? That he is pleased to look upon and dwell with the faithful. All who come to him in faith, all who come to him confessing sin, all to come to him in the here and now confessing that we are utterly unable to perform the righteousness that he requires of us, falling at his feet, asking him for mercy, what does he say? You will receive it. The king, as he did for Esther, will extend his staff to you. And as we meditate then on this psalm, we remember that Jesus is our righteous king. He's not a compromiser. He is not one who makes promises to you and then goes and does something else. What he says, he does. He's a righteous king because he honors God in his worship, conduct, desire, and justice. And these things establish his true identity. He is the Christ, the eternal king who judges justly. And as he subdues us to himself by his Holy Spirit, then we are conformed. This is the image to which we are conformed. External and internal righteousness. Planning to do righteousness because I meditate on it. And you, therefore, it must be one who worships God in integrity, who loves his king, and takes pleasure in his judgments. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Thank you so much that you've given us a godly king. We thank you so much that the one who is seated on the throne right now, who is overseeing all the affairs of man, is one who judges rightly. He is one who is filled utterly with righteousness and holiness. He is not a deviator. He's not a deceiver. He's not got one ounce of iniquity in him, not one evil desire, not one... Uh, sense of pleasure in lying lips, not one sense of pleasure in lusts and the abominations of the flesh. He does all things perfectly. And Lord Jesus, we praise you for your utter righteousness and thank you 
that you subdued us to yourselves. For we rightly are the are the slaves of a wicked king, one who lies to get his way, one who does not love his subjects, one who delights in their destruction, one who carries out un-injustice. That's our rightful king. But Lord Jesus, you, you have made us your subjects. And oh, how we praise you. Let our lips go on singing your praises forever. Amen.